Uh, good morning, everyone. We are joined here today with Lizelle. Um, she is a managing editor for the Huffington Post. Uh, say hello, Lizelle. Hey. It's actually, I'm a senior, I don't know. Oh, <laughs> I'm a senior okay. editor. I'm senior, senior editor uh, for membership and innovation at uh, HuffPost. Awesome. Yeah, I think today uh, Earl and I would love to, you know, pick your brain on uh, your your job there and um, sort of like your opinions on certain things. Um, but maybe if you could give a little bit more color on. Yeah. So guess, so maybe uh, before Lizelle comes in, I'll give some background just because I know Lizelle uh, in this really interesting um, kind of group called the Phil Pro. It's the Filipino Young Leaders Program. Uh, and it actually awards the, maybe the top 10, supposed to be top 10, um, uh, I guess, young Filipinos in America under 40 each year. So uh, Lizelle uh, definitely is one of the awardees for it. Uh, and it's selected directly by the ambassador of the Philippines um, in the United States. So, you know, she's definitely one of the leaders in the community and someone that I am proud to call friend just because I, I learned a lot from her and I think the community we we'll learn a lot from her as well. Uh, but then, you know, she's not just a leader in, I think, the Filipino community, but I think the the whole, um, both technology and media community at large. So uh, very interesting, and we're humbled to have you here, Lizelle, in the Startup Mindsets program. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Likewise, likewise. So yeah, maybe Lizelle, as Dan mentioned, give a background kind of on yourself, what you do, and we'll kind of dive in here for the next maybe 30, 40 minutes, really in understanding your own startup mindset uh, as you build paper. Yeah, so I would say where I'm currently at in my career and what I do is very much indicative of like who I am and my just personal background. You know, as a Filipino American, um, I, you know, I always think about like what are our roles in life and, and, and in the community. And for me, uh, I, what I realized more recently is that I'm definitely a bridge person and that's how I am in my life as well as in my career. So, um, you know, I'm currently at uh, HuffPost. I am the senior uh, editor for membership and innovation. And, you know, getting to this point um, has been just a series of different moments uh, in my career and life that have, um, you know, made me think about how, how does everything connect? So in many ways, I started out in my career as uh, purely as a, a print journalist, um, you know, basically uh, reporting stories on the local level in Southern California. And then as the industry has changed, um, I've had to also adapt. And now I would consider myself a bridge journalist in the sense that I sit at the intersection of editorial, marketing, product development, and sales and revenue. And in many ways, that seems like it's a lot, but I think because of my background in editorial and how to tell a story, I look at it from that lens that it's important to know how the whole entire operation works. It's not enough that, you know, we're reporting these stories and we're giving a voice to the voiceless in order to, you know, continue to move forward. You got to know how the, the business side works. You have to work with the product team. You have to work with marketing and how the entire thing uh, fits together. So, for me, I, I love being in editorial, you know, uh, that's my wheelhouse, but I also love working with the product team, for example. I've learned so much from them in terms of how they approach problems and challenges, as well as working with like marketing and sales and revenue. And just looking at that bigger picture has helped me just even personally look at what I need to do in the next couple of years and whatnot to, to reach my goals. So 
for me, in many ways, it's kind of a great opportunity because it is also uncertain, especially in these uncertain times, but it's also exciting that I can really chart my own path. And, you know, as a as child of immigrants, of Filipino immigrants that immigrated to the U.S. in the late 1960s, you know, I just realized, you know, as I was trying to figure out what my next move was, is that, you know, we've always been bridge people. Filipinos have always been bridge people, regardless of where you're, where, whether you were born in the, in the motherland or somewhere in the diaspora, you've, we've always had to bridge different worlds together. And it's exciting to be at, not only at a place currently in my career, but just personally and in the community that, you know, I get the opportunity to do that in very creative and innovative ways. So that's kind of what I'm currently at. And, you know, um, it's always um, interesting to connect with other, other folks in these spaces that are also trying to figure it out because, you know, there are no rules. I think you make, you kind of chart your own path. And, you know, I think that's the exciting part. And it's also the scary part as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, actually, the background on me, I used to be a high school journalist. Um, I took a journalism class back in the day, and then I got an English degree. And I think that, uh, you know, journalism, from my experience, has been something that's driven by curiosity, and you kind of just have a lot of freedom, but you don't know what you want to do. So how did you, I guess, find the innovation? Um, or how did you, how'd you uh, get inter- interested in, I guess, writing about entrepreneurship and uh, I guess that subject matter compared to some of the previous work you've done? Yeah, because I think in many ways, like the reason that I was attracted to journalism in the first place, you know, like for me, it's just interesting hearing other people's stories. And I think it's something also very ingrained in personally, in my family, in my culture, just hearing like what people went through. And, you know, for me, just even a practical sense, I, I just was not good at math. (laughs) <laughs> so that kind of that kind of canceled out a lot of the other sciences and other things. And you and the running joke for a lot of journalists is like, why did you get into journalism? Because well, I can't. I'm we suck at math. I, I you know I suck at math. <laughs> right. So what do you do? So it's like okay, you go the other way. Well, I'm like okay, I can I can write. I can tell a story. I can put it together that way. So you know I double down on that. But what is great about journalism? You you essentially you get paid to ask questions. You get paid to be you know, curious. And in many ways, you you get to live life twice, not only your own life, but also you're you're telling somebody else's life, you know, and, and it's just so important, especially now, because it's like, there's something there's something so deep about being seen and heard. And I think, you know, being that truth to power, you know, speaking truth to power and doing that on a daily basis is great. So um, in terms of the entrepreneur part, like I think for me, it's like it's also it's also kind of like on the background of like storytelling itself. You know, you're taking back your narrative, right? You're you're charting unpa- un, uncharted paths, you know, and and in many ways you're defining a lot of things that may be defined one way, but there's always there's many ways to define things. So like oftentimes innovation, I feel like sometimes comes from the mindset of like, it has to be completely new, but it's not. In reality, like innovation can be something that's, you know, another way of looking at something that's already been built. And sometimes I feel like people kind of get stuck of like, it has to be completely new. Not really. I think in many ways, like they're not necessarily new ideas, but maybe there's new ways to approach it and building upon other people, people's work, right? So. 
Yeah, so I guess, Giselle, um, you mentioned something that was really intriguing to me. Um, and by the way, I, uh, I, I was good at math, but I sucked in English. So uh, even <laughs> in the theory, I got like 30th percentile in the English section. So um, very interesting. But, uh, but what you mentioned is like kind of understanding yourself and understanding kind of, you know, what, what both your strengths, your weaknesses is in order for you to become the best in the world. And that's something that we have thought about, you know, with even our other guests in, in the startup mindsets and other people we interviewed for the book. How did you think about that process of understanding like where, where you're really good at, what your passion really lies and you know, what are things that you think you don't have to double up in and then refocus it to have that energy to focus on things that you actually are super good at and you could be the number one. Yeah, it, it took a while, you know, and it's still an ongoing process, you know, like uh, I, I will always say like I'm a self-professed introvert. So, you know, actually going to a lot of these networking things is very draining and I, it's very intimidating. But at the same time, like it's a, even more recently, I, I, I recently had like kind of a breakthrough personally. And, you know, oftentimes it's like, um, you, you know, like being self-aware is so powerful, right? So like for me and for a lot of people, I think you kind of suffer from, you know, imposter syndrome, thinking you're not good enough or, or whatever. But like, like I said, more recently, I realized, oh my God, you know, like I can try to fight this, but you know what? Imposter syndrome never goes away, but it's knowledge that it never went up. It never goes away. I actually have been able to like catch myself when it does creep up. So then it does creep up. I, I was like, okay, wait, 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 no, it's fine. It's fine. I'm actually, I can do this. I can do this. So a lot of it is a self-awareness, but sometimes you're not that self-aware until you start like putting yourself out there in other mm. places that you may not always gravitate to towards. And that's, that's very difficult for like an introvert that, you know, I'm not, may, I may not be the first one to go up to you and say something, but for me, what I realize is that if I really want to go for it, I need to go for it. And it takes baby steps, right? And it's, it's trying to figure out like what, and the only way you do that is you, you have to try it. So I, I think, you know, a lot of it is, you know, kind of reframing things, you know, like really fra reframing in the sense that like, if you want to grow, you have to do things that are, un are uncomfortable. And it took me a very long time to finally realize that, you know, this feeling is like, it doesn't feel good. But then when you actually do it, it's just like, oh, okay, like I need to keep doing it. And that's the only way you're going to grow. You have to really be intentional. I think intentional and in putting yourself in yeah. situations that feel uncomfortable. And that's terrifying. That's extremely terrifying. But it's like, it's always the lead up, right? It's always the lead up. And then when you actually do it, it's actually fine, you know? And then, <laughs> and then you kind of look back, it's like, oh, I was worried about that for nothing. So, you know, and it's also, I think, a testament of like who you surround yourself with. Like, um, you know, Earl, you talk about, you know, the program that you and I met through Philcro. Yeah. And, you know, it's been several months now since we all kind of left the, the Philippines together and we, we, were, we were there for a week. But, you know, I, I get a lot of inspiration from that, from that group alone, just because, I don't know. I, it's hard to explain, but like surrounding yourself with people that are like-minded and also not like-minded actually does push you to think about things that you would, no, would have normally never even thought of and done. And I think it's really important to, 
do that. But, it, but I also know it's also important to acknowledge that is also terrifying and scary. But I think once you do that, then you could better manage your response to that. And I think that's where sometimes the gap is. It's like, you're not even necessarily aware. So having a very supportive community that, or a space that you feel comfortable enough where people are kind of like, not necessarily calling you out, but at least telling you like, hey, this is what I'm seeing, I think sets you up in a good space to start to, to acknowledge that. I think until you acknowledge it, to me, at least personally, it yeah. doesn't click, you know? It's just there. And then it's just so powerful. Like, even if you just say it to yourself, out in the, you put it out in the universe, I don't know, there's something about that that's acknowledged or calling it or naming it that gives it a lot of power where you're like, oh my gosh, what am I doing? You know? So this is like, all right, so I, I see what's happening here. And then you could better manage your response to it. So hopefully that makes sense. <laughs> no, yeah, I can totally relate. Um, yeah, just uh, <clears throat> having you know, done some venture capital and meeting you know, CEOs of companies and thinking to myself like I'm half their age and like I don't understand their tech, but I'm asking them the questions, do I belong in the seat? Should I like not even say anything if I don't want to sound dumb? And um, yeah, I think that, uh, you know, even for times uh, that I've had some journalism or journalistic uh, experiences, it's, it's kind of like, you know, you kind of have to second guess yourself because um, you want to like, double check if you're saying the right things, but then there's a balance of, do you, um, are you say, doing this in confidence or are you doing this uh, because you're worried uh, and not confident? So I, I think a follow-up question I have is, uh, how do you, I guess, um, balance the feedback aspect of being a journalist versus having that confidence and knowing when to stand up for yourself or stand up for the ideas that you're uh, writing on? Yeah, I think that's an interesting question because, you know, again, it's like, it's something that I constantly struggle with too, because especially like if you are, if I'm interviewing somebody that's very way, like way has so much more expertise than I do, I feel already intimidated going into the interview. Right. But at the same time, you know, it's almost kind of like understanding how human nature works. I think people like when you, when you ask them these questions, you're asking them for a specific you know, reason, right? And you're asking them because you're acknowledging that they're experts in a certain field or a certain space. So if I was the one receiving that, I would feel like, oh, okay, I feel like I, I'm helping this person. And I think ultimately, you know, most humans <laughs> are, will, are, are, are wired to help other people. So like, to me, I, I look at it, it's like, I have, not, I, have not, I have nothing to lose. I mean, they could always say, you know, whatever they need to say, but, you know, ultimately I think you have more to lose if you don't ask those questions because you're, you're just, it, it, in many ways, it's like, uh, you know, you're exchanging a certain value and the value here is information, you know? <laughs> and I think, you know, again, it is intimidating, but then that, and that, but I also think you can use that fear to continue to push, push through and, and say like, well, I mean, you're trying to understand like, you know, what that, complex problem well how do they come up with that you know and and whatnot so it takes practice just like with every, anything like the more you do it the more confident you get I don't think you just go in there just guns blazing yeah. I mean maybe some people do but I know for me personally you know 
I can get, I get very intimidated if I'm like talking to like, I don't know, like a, a, a really smart scientist that came up with this amazing like solution to a very complex problem. Cause I'm always afraid, oh my God, am I using the wrong, am I using the wrong terminology to describe that? I'm going to sound dumb. But at the same time, it's like, I just have to reframe my thinking. I'm like, no, you know, I'm genuinely interested in it. If I need to understand what they did so I can effectively explain it to other people that are not in this field. So I, I think, you know, it goes to that cliche. There are no dumb questions. I think the only dumb question mm. is you, the question you don't ask, you know, and if you don't ask, you don't get right. So True. that's the framework that I'm working from just in general now these days. Yeah. And I guess these are the, you know, the question I have in my mind now, because it's super amazing, right? Like the amount of confidence, self-awareness and assurance that you have for yourself is like so strong. Um, where did that come from? I mean, in your childhood, in your education, college days, like where did that come from? Because I mean, we meet a lot of people, right? And people are number one, maybe still struggling with this. Number two, maybe they, you know, they're still lost. I mean, where did this come from? Because it's not usual that you get this amount of confidence kind of in this year career. Sometimes people even retire without having this level of sureness of confidence. So tell us about a time maybe in your early life that this kind of sparked in you. Yeah. I mean, I think, like I said, I think this is more recent, you know, like I think for the people that seem like they're more confident, I think maybe they, they, they portray it much better. But mm. for me, like, this is more recent. Like, I, I, I think it's, it's very cliche. It's like when these like really dramatic moments in your life happen, it, it, it's sometimes it's, it's for the best, right? Sometimes it's what finally shakes you from whatever was a blocker in your life and like going for what you want. Right. So I think more recently, like, you know, um, you know, prior to getting to HuffPost, I've worked at practically every major news organization you can think of and every type of format from like local broadcast network, cable mm. startup, whatever. So that has given me a great, you know, kind of diverse window into the media world. But, you know, and for me, I'm the type of person, like, you know, if you put me on something, I want to give, I go in, I go in or I don't go in at all. You know, I'm, I'm all in. And, you know, um, and that could be very tough because what, what happens when that, that job goes away? And I know for me, that happened now about two years ago. Um, I was at a big um, cable news company and they restructured and they um, eliminated my entire team and I in a big restructuring. And, you know, it's, you know, it's a, it was a business decision and, you know, these things happen in cycles and whatnot. But, you know, uh, to be honest, that was very, very difficult because, you know, I put so much into that job. I put like, you know, your, your heart and soul into something, building something. And then to have it go away like that, what is like, can be and is devastating. But at the same time, you know, I think like when that went away, you know, it really gave me a lot of clarity in terms of like, what was I doing? And is this really what, you know, is going to move me forward in terms of what my life's purpose is? And what I realize now, now that I have a lot more distance from it, is I've learned a lot of painful lessons from that, from that job. But it also spurred on a lot for me, uh, an attitude, uh, sounds cliche now, an attitude of gratitude, because I think g going through those difficult times, like I realized, you know what, like your job is not your identity, because your, your job can go away. But that doesn't mean you go away, you're still there, right. And, yes. um, 
And that's hard, you know, especially when it happens to you. It's like, oh my God, what do I do now? But that's when you really find out who, who's really on your, who's on your team per se, right? Who's your support network? And, you know, I was surprised and happy to learn that people that I, that reached out, reached out that I never expected. Um, The people that I reached out to were receptive, which is great. And, you know, and it made me really kind of take a step back and reflect on, okay, so that, you know, that, that chapter closed, what do I do now? And I think that really got me back to a very, you know, put me in a space where I had to really think about, well, what can I do as a person in this life? Who knows how much time we have that, that I can have an impact. And ultimately that's the word that keeps coming up as I thought about those, those couple months when I left that job, impact, impact. Like you could have the best title, you could be making so much money, but if you don't, you don't have an impact, then what's the point, you know? And I, that's what I realized. So I, I told myself moving forward, what can I do? Whatever next role I take, I've got to have an impact and it's got to be important to my core. And what I, and it really brought me back to at least the Filipino community. Cause like when I was in, when I was in Southern California, I was much more involved but then when I moved to New York, you know, the, the New York media scene pulled me in very, very deeply. So at that point, I just had no other bandwidth to do anything else. And I always kind of felt a little guilty about that. But I also realized, you know, being in, in the role that I was in, in several roles across mainstream companies, that was also important. And that was a form of community. So again, it goes back to impact and redefining how people you know, how people perceive me or what I should be doing and really redefining it for myself. And once I realized that, I realized, wow, I was giving up, giving up too much power to other people when it's like, I have the power to define like my story. I tell stories, (laughs) right? I tell other people's stories, but you know what? Like, why aren't I, why am I not telling my own story and the stories of my ancestors, my people and all that, you know? So, like, I think when that finally, the epiphany hit for me, it's like, oh my God, what am I doing? Then it really put me back on track in terms of like, okay, moving forward, I, I need to be intentional and, you know, very clear what, um, what I want to do. And ultimately, again, it goes back to community, like defining whatever that means, and then also community and impact. So now, um, you know, I, I've, been intentionally, you know, and I think it shows like when you, when you finally, you know, have that mindset, um, it attracts other people that are in like-minded just right. even unintentionally. And yeah. I've, I've, I've noticed that too. So it's like every, since that, since that happened, like I've been part of so many other different communities, like, uh, the podcast podcasting community, for example, in New York, like I, you know, I, I'm traditionally a print person, but, you know, I took this like podcasting um, intensive at the New York Media Center and that cohort, like we, we've like our, our like course ended in winter of 2019, but we've met every week since that thing, since that course has ended, it's been more than a year. We still keep meeting. So to me, that's like, that's crazy, but it's also pretty beautiful that, you know, you can be part of so many different cohorts of people, of communities in different parts of your life. And I think that's just indicative of like what you bring. And like, it's just, it's like, it's almost like you're, you're a light, you know? 
I think it's kind of ironic because like my last name, you know, when you really translate it is uh, in Tagalog, it's like, you know, you say Tang Lao, right, is the real way you say it, but it's Tang Ilao, which is light. So in many ways, you could, you become a light and then you, you attract all these like, I don't know, bugs or whatever, <laughs> but, um, you know, so... Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's really mm-hmm. ultimately at the end of the day, I think there's so much emphasis on like caring so much about what other people think. And I'm not saying it's not important, but ultimately it really starts from you and in the inside. And once you get to that point, like anything is possible, like anything is possible. And then people notice, you don't even need to say it anymore. People just notice. So especially now during this time of COVID, like I've, I've connected with so many people that I have not talked to in years and them, it was just by nature of them just noticing either things that I posted on, on social media, noticed such a change because they've known me in different capacities and different jobs, but make them commenting. It's like, Oh my God, it's like, you're doing so great. I'm like, really? And it's like, there's imposter syndrome again. Right. Yeah. But it's like, again, it's just, I think it's a validation that like, you know, once you, it comes from you inside, it's just like, it just emanates and you don't need to say anything. People notice. So, gotcha. yeah. Yeah. I think um, that's some excellent uh, discussion right there. But uh, what I want to jump into next was, um, would you say that since we're writing this book, well, for a little bit of context, we're writing this book, um, kind of trying to cater it towards first generation people or uh, non, I guess, stereotypical uh, entrepreneurs um, from various backgrounds, like, would you say that you have an edge being, you know, um, Filipino or like kind of uh, growing up in a Filipino household that you bring into the workplace that, um, you know, gives you a different mentality than uh, most or yeah. different? <laughs> no, absolutely. I would say Filipinos are like the original OG innovators right? Uh, that's cool. I haven't heard this in a while. That's awesome. This That's cool. Uh, see, I, I'm dropping these sound bites for y'all. So <laughs> um, this, this confidence is coming in now. Uh, I would say we are the ultimate OG innovators. And what I mean by that is that like, if there's one thing I know about the Filipino people, we, we are stubborn and we do not give up. Like how many yep. years of colonization by different foreign entities, right? And we are still here. And you know what? We we are, you know, dispersed throughout the world, but we still go back to the core of wherever our family is, whether it's in the in the motherland, you know, remittances, we're sending money back, or if we're here in the US, um, you know, and ultimately, you know, I think what needs to happen too is that we've been in this survival mode for so long, you know, heads down, let's do this. But I think what we're seeing now, especially with the next generation coming up right behind me and also in my generation, is that we're seeing a shift, hopefully, in the mindset that instead of surviving, we're going through a mode of thriving, right? Mm-hmm. And it's sometimes we just need to be reminded of, like, what has happened, you know, in, in the past that, like, you know, um, you know, we, again, we're like the original innovators in the sense that if if something happens, you know, circumstances change, we adapt and we pivot, you know, and we, sometimes you kind of forget, you know, like we've been through wars, we've been through all these things, but to me, like to, to step back and think about that, it's like, of course, this, these are, this is what I came from, you know, this yeah. is what you do, right? Yeah. So. I, I've been thinking lately of uh, how uh, history, like 
I guess, um, what is it called? Uh, like ancestral history influences who you are as a person. And at first, you know, I didn't look too much into it, but after reading a book called Sapiens and just even the whole human race, I think that there's so many uh, factors that influence your, I guess, decisions and thinking that um, go unnoticed. <laughs> so yeah, I think that proves your point a little bit stronger. Yeah, and I said this during the PhilPro trip. Um, I forgot what the question was, but it's like whenever I felt whenever I felt lost, I always go back to my core, and usually the core is my culture, and I find inspiration there. Whenever I feel like, where am I going? What am I doing? And you kind of, and it's important to look back because it's you know that cliche uh, saying. It's like you know you can't you don't know where you're going unless you know where you've came from, right? So I think whenever I feel like, okay, what do I do next? I kind of take a step back and seeing what have what you know situations are different but I think the decision and choices are similar so you know there's a usually a precedent already set and if there isn't then I look at it as that is an opportunity like you know there are no rules right so why not go for it right um yeah so I guess uh, Lizelle we only have a few minutes here um left and maybe two two questions that we end this these podcasts with. Uh, number one is, you know, what's your advice for people um, to then develop that sense of confidence, that that mindset to then build build something new um, to really chart their own path. Maybe that's one question. And then the last question related to that is, you know, what types of resources or books, especially maybe your top one or two books that you recommend people. Kind of struggling with this question. Yeah, I mean, I think advice-wise, uh, I would say like you know, be kind to yourself because like you know, everyone's on a different part of their journey, right? Just because I'm there already doesn't mean you can either just snap your fingers and get there as well. So sometimes there are certain things that have to be in place before you're ready to receive whatever you need to receive, you know. Um, but I also think it's also being aware and being open and and really listening because like when you really think about it, when it finally happens for you, when it clicks, the signs were already there all along. You just, you just probably weren't listening. Right. So really being intentional and like looking at like what's happening and, you know, and being okay with asking for help. Sometimes our pride gets in the way and our egos get in the way, but you know, ultimately people, unless they're not kind, they'll help you, you know, yeah. So not be not being afraid. And I think it's always the, that fear factor, not being afraid to ask. And if they, they don't, that's okay. There's other people. There's always other people. There's always a, there's a community out there. And, you know, it, it takes two, right? Like, they can't help you if they don't know you exist. So you have to, again, it goes back to like, you know, taking the risks and going for it. Because what's the worst that could happen? I mean, I think that's actually the wrong question to ask. It's like, what's the best that can happen? Yeah, sure. <laughs> it's the better, it's yeah. the reframing it and flipping it. You know, that's what I find myself asking now instead of like, what do I have to lose? It's really, what do I have to gain? And once you have that, I think that, that it's like an epiphany, like everything changes, you know? So um, in terms of resources, I think, I'm trying to think. Um, or what's your know. favorite book that, that helped you, right? Oh, I Maybe think blog, uh, I don't <laughs> blog, I don't know about blog, but I think because like I said, I'm an introvert, Susan Cain's book on introverts helped mm. because it, it gave me a, a good framework mm. in terms of like, cause I always felt like I was always misunderstood and I realized, no, it's not me. This is just me, you know? <laughs> and that's the thing. I think ultimately, you know, when you find out you're not alone in this, 
it, it gives you also gives you the confidence that, you know, it's, you're not the only one, you know, there are other people. So, but then you gotta, those other people don't know you're there unless you go out there too. So, you know, baby steps, you know, things like that. So. Being an editor for Huffington Post in terms of innovation, um, uh, from like the people you've met, um, what, what are some of their, I guess, uh, yeah, what gets you excited, or, right? You know, I mean, right? What gets you excited for the future? Um, I, I think what gets me excited for the future are like many things. I, I, I think it's just really innovating on um, current problems and what we can like do to solve them. So like, for example, like the media industry is in total disruption in terms of the business model and how to sustain it. How do we, um, you know, sustain readership and loyalty? So there's a lot of like things that are being um, thrown out there. And I think it's really exciting to see what sticks. So like, you know, for example, uh, you know, since I work on the membership program, like what do we, what, what can we offer to members that would get them to come back to us? We already have a very loyal uh, fan base uh, readership. You know, what else can we do? And I think with um, what's currently happening now, now that everyone's home, you know, it's kind of funny, like um, with the, the, these virtual events, we were already starting that, that up prior to when the pandemic hit. Um, you know, what else can we do? How do we transfer what we do in real life to more a, to a more virtual like setting? Um, obviously it's not, it's never going to replace the real life, you know, experiences, but I mean, this is the current reality that we're in now. So it's like, what can we do to, um, really innovate on that, uh, beyond just what's happening now, which is like, you know, virtual calls and what, what other interaction or interactives can we do? Um, I think what's also exciting is like using data. I think, um, you know, I used to be not a data evangel evangelist because, <laughs> um, again, it's too many numbers. I don't know what to do with this. But it wasn't until I sat next to a data, data analyst in one of my other jobs that she showed me that, hey, this is another way to tell stories. Like, it's just like cleaning up data and seeing yeah. what's there. It's very much like if you're composing a piece of music, you know, there's a lot of noise. There's a lot of noise. So like being able to surface up certain data points or moments and, you know, it's like you're literally composing a song and when you play it, it's music, right? So for me, like that was an epiphany of like, oh my God, we should be using this and really helping aid us in telling certain stories or the data itself tells a story, uh, whether it's on the editorial side, on the business side, even when you're, you know, trying to figure out what's the next uh, product to build, right? It's like those user stories, you know, what's, what, what is it? Um, so having data as a point to, of reference to look at is really exciting, I think. And I think it's only more recently that the industry is like, we should double down on this and see what we can do, you know? Um, and, you know, and other things like that are more far out, um, like, you know, XR, whatever, however people define that, which includes like VR, AR technology. Um, I think there's a long way to go with that, but I am excited to see that there's been more experimentation on that to see what we can, what we can do with that. And, you know, uh, how else can we enhance the experience? And ultimately also the big question to try to answer is like, how do we make it accessible? We're not at the point that it's mass consumer yet that, you know, for example, um, VR, but you know, I think anything like Pokemon Go has proven that, you know, uh, if you make yeah. it accessible, 
people, people will like, if you build it, they will come, you know? So it's like, I, I always try to ask my the question to that is like, well, can you do that with news? Can you do that with like, you know, stories? Like, what's, what's your work? thought on a medium, I guess, medium, the platform versus traditional blogs, I guess, like since that's new uh, Twitter, right? Social media, writing a chapter that's about communication and like communicating your story. I was curious about like, um, uh, how you've seen medium, the platform versus uh, Twitter, of course, um, play a role in your work or being a different, do you feel like you have to write differently for medium versus a Huffington Post versus how do you do a tone, like uh, establish the tone for either or? Yeah. I mean, it's just like with anything, right? You have to know you have to know who your audience is and how, how they interact with a platform. You can't expect like a tweet to necessarily work the same way as if you're writing a whole story, right? Cause it, it's, mm. you have limitations of the platform itself. And there's also different audiences on each of those platforms. I think for social media, it's twofold where social media can be a distribution platform, but it's also a way to store, you know, tell stories, you know, like with Twitter. Yeah. You're limited with the character count, but you know, Twitter to me is a great way to find, to take a, a temperature check, a pulse of like what's happening. Cause it's very real time versus like writing a medium post, a medium post. It seems like it's like the evolved version of like back in the day when we had Zonga and live, live journal, but more for a, you know, a uh, more mainstream audience, you know? Um, so I think again, like, it's just like with anything, like whether you're building a product or writing a story, who are you writing it for? Right. And like with that in mind, it also informs your, how you push it out. Cause it's like, you know, especially like if you want to get technical, like your SEO and, and whatnot, because it's like, if you don't think about that again, it's like taking like a 360 view. If you don't think about that from the onset, you're going to have a hard time getting your story out there and reaching who you want to reach. Right. Cause otherwise, if you don't think about that, then, Ultimately, you just you just wrote like a diary entry. And no one's going to see it. <laughs> you might as well just like made it private, right? And if that wasn't your intention, then you really have to think about like, okay, like what's your, if you're writing for S, like the SEO field, like make it easy for people to find it. So you have to think like how a computer would, you know, surface that content. So it's not, it's not sexy, but it's, it's necessary, right? If that's, if that's your goal, right? Um, it's the same thing. It's like, if you're writing a piece for a certain audience, then you gotta, you have to think like, what would they want to know? You know, what oh, would they sure. want to hear? Right. Um, and is this piece of content, is this like facts news or is this opinion? I think it needs to be labeled as so, so that there's no question on what it is, you know? So there's a lot of factors that go into it, but I think, you know, Again, it goes back to consistency and just practice. The more you do it, the more it just becomes secondhand and becomes part of like your, your uh, routine. And with like everything, whether you're in whatever, you know, industry, you are telling a certain story, but in a different way, you know? Like I love when I was working with closely with like developers and I used to sit with them in some of my other jobs and, you know, you see like a piece of code that they're, they're coding and it's just like, what is all this? It's all numbers and stuff. But when you really look back, it's like, no, it's actually a piece of art, you know? It's like, oh my God, yeah. look at what they're doing. And, you know, it's again, taking the time and understanding the person behind these processes really humanizes them. It's just like when, you know, journalists are out there talking to people, you know, um, you're trying to explain a very complex 
topic, like you're going to lose people if you, all you have is facts and you should have facts. Mm -hmm. But what really makes the story is the character, right? Like what makes a great story, a book, a movie, it's character. And if you're able to bring that down to a personal level, it like that makes all the difference. And that, I think that is true in any capacity, wherever you are in the, in the workforce, it's really, you know, the people that power these stories, you know? So. Right. Have you ever like thought of writing a book before or like just randomly? Probably not right now, but because <laughs> <laughs> uh, I have a lot of things going on. I feel like do, I have you, so uh, many things. Do you write it down on, uh, you use a pen and paper or do you, you know, no, I used to because like uh, I can't read my writing anymore. So uh-huh. <laughs> I just start like Google Docs, like running Google Docs. Um, I mean, when I used to be a reporter in the field, you know, we used to have the actual reporter notebooks and I would write yeah. in shorthand. But now, like, you know, I'm actually at home and I, I'm like finding all this stuff in my old room and I'm like, I can't read any of this. I don't know what I was writing. So now it's like it's all electronic. Um, Super but, interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um, I also read you uh, started your career in the Inland Empire. Yeah, I used to be a staff writer at the Press Enterprise. So we covered UCR. Um, oh, I was, no way. I was based in Temecula, that wine is, country. So I know that area very that well. Is, that is the unpopular part yeah. of Southern California. Yeah, but I learned <laughs> a lot. I mean, that first job really set me up for actually where I am today. I don't really, I don't really write anymore. I only write oh. when I feel like I have something to contribute because I'm, I'm strategy all day at this point. Yeah. Um, but you know, that, that, those first jobs really helped me. And it's just like, you know, like covering city council meetings, school district board, you know, like actually getting out there and cultivating sources. Like, I think I'm not really sure if that's still happening for the journalists that are out there now, but those are essential skills that are transferable regardless if I continue in journalism or not, because again, it goes back to the people, right? So it's sure. like, you know, you can't expect people to open up to you like cold call, like, you know, you know uh-huh. what I mean? It's like, it's, it's really when it comes down to it, just like with life, it's relationships, right? It's always relationships yeah. and not being yes. so transactional, right? Yeah. I mean, there are certain relationships that are transactional and everybody knows it. I mean, but ultimately if you really want to go deep, and you want to get, you know, who gets the best stories? It's usually the reporters that are very well sourced. Do you, do you have like a favorite beats. story or something, a piece clip you've written? Uh, yeah. I mean, the one that still stands out is the one that I wrote for the Press Enterprise, which is where my first job was. Is, uh-huh. um, And again, this goes back to, I think, the core of who I am. And um, it was a great reminder of it. I actually posted it again um, on May Day. Was uh, This was a couple years, a few years, more than a year, like a decade back, I think now. I wrote it in 2005, and it was uh, in conjunction with the 40th anniversary of the Delano grape strikes in Delano. And, you know, Filipinos were very pivotal in that because that's where, you know, the um, United Farm Workers, Cesar Chavez, that whole movement started. But what people don't realize, and again, this is, I feel like it's a great metaphor of like, you know, these untold stories is that what people don't realize is that that strike um, actually was inspired by a smaller strike that happened a few months before in the Coachella Valley. So that was my news peg in doing it for the, P- the press enterprise because that Coachella is part of Riverside County. Mm-hmm. And that became, and again, that's why I say Filipinos are like the OG innovators, right? They were, they were AB testing this long before anybody else was. So there was a small group of Filipino grape strikers that decided to strike in the Coachella Valley like I think um, early, a couple months before Delano, and they won. 
So because that, that was the proof of concept, because they were successful and they got their raise, they decided when the, the, the season moved up to Delano, they decided let's strike again. And, you know, um, and that's, you know, this is with like Larry Itliog, Philip Veracruz, Pete Velasco, yeah. all those prominent labor leaders. They were getting ready to strike. And then, you know, they, they asked um, the group that was headed by Cesar Chavez to join them. And ultimately, you know, our, our community went out first. And then eight days later, the uh, Mexicans joined. And then ultimately that became the United Farm Workers um, Union. And, you know, I forgot how long the, the, don't quote me on how long that strike went, but, you know, that was very pivotal. It, it was a long time. But when you look at the history books, oftentimes we barely get a passing mention, sure. maybe a footnote, maybe. But ultimately, it's like these chain reaction, like, would, you know, would Delano have happened if they, if the Filipinos in Coachella did not Basically, I didn't even know there were concept. Filipinos in, uh, in the yeah. empire like that. It's, it's yeah. crazy. Yeah. So, I mean, I could send it. I'll send you the, the link to, I mean, the, the link is gone, but there's a PDF. But um, that story still stands out in my mind, not just because of that, but the feedback. Again, circling back the feedback loop. Um, and I think about it to this day when I feel like, oh, my God, it's like the media. It's crazy. You know, are we, what, what are we doing? What we're doing, is it actually have an impact? So when that story got published, that got published Labor Day or the weekend of Labor Day of, in 2005, um, I get a letter, like a snail mail letter from like an elementary school student in like Riverside. You know, oh, wow. she wrote me a letter saying like, oh, you know, I read your story about, you know, you mentioned Cesar Chavez and this and, and the story about the Filipino grape strike uh, workers. And, you know, I'm writing, I, I read about Cesar Chavez in, in school, but I, I do you have more information about these Filipino grape strikers. I was like, Oh my God. So, you know, with that letter alone, I still, I have to find it, but like that, it's something that I still think about today, today. Like, you know, like, it, like my story may not, may not have changed laws, but it had an impact. If that was the impact to me, that was well worth it. Like that took me months to report that story out. But, you know, again, impact again is how you define it. You know, like impact. Yeah. Yes. You can change laws, but you know, impact is, is, it can be as big as getting a letter like that from a, a school kid that is studying California history, but where are we in it? You know, at least mm. like, this is like a Latina elementary school kid that was asking about Filipinos, you know, it's like, yeah, where are we? You know? Yeah. I, so. I have like one of my best friends is a Mexican. And I think one of the reasons, well, I wouldn't say the reason why we're best friends is just, we just relate to so many things like that and we don't even realize it so that's that's amazing <laughs> yeah yeah so, so i guess we uh you know we're, we're running out of time now i know that you're, uh, you're super busy with this so, thing yeah. but uh yeah you know i mean we learned a lot you know from self-awareness to just being you know impact and just understanding like who you are and you know and obviously you know you know your, your background and you know how you rose to where you are now i think everybody learned a lot right so um, thank you so much for being here in, in Startup Mindsets, and uh, we'll definitely, you know, see where where your journey takes you next, right? So, um, Dan, anything else before we wrap? No, yeah, thanks again. Uh, if you have, I would say, I guess, any parting words, uh, you could have the mic. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, yeah, thank you for uh, inviting me on this. I'm always happy to share what I what I've learned. I think, and ultimately, it's just like you know, don't let fear stop you. You know, I think it's scary, but I think if it is scary, then that's more reason to do it. That's what I would say. Awesome. <laughs>
And then that's no. Thank you so much, Nizel. Thank, Thank you so you. much.